I like I like how they 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 actually told you where the new money was. Like they had like little indicators to say we're giving this much money. That was new. Yeah, but I was reading it and I was like, oh, I would hate to write this fucking thing. It's a big giant eye roll. It's always a big giant eye roll. Oh, I know, but like it's just so. At least they didn't. You know what's the worst was when the conservatives were on and they did their Obama thing. And the Obama thing was that you bring in personal stories, right? To underline all of your oh, yeah, spending yeah. and stuff. Very Obama. Now everybody does it. He gets no credit. I'm here to give him credit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the conservatives would have you write, Tim, who is a minor in like Nova Scotia. Yeah, they got these, those in here. And it, but it was worse with them because mm-hmm. it was just like, you weren't really sure if Tim exists. Not that you do now, but it's you know. just, it's definitely like, I was reading it today and I was just like, oh, like, cool. Like, here's all the things you're going to do. I wish it was just literally a bulleted list with details because I don't want the background. Yeah, I don't need the story. Like, oh, in 2015, we did X, Y, Z. And then we've built on that since then. And, you know, here's what's happened since then in this area. You know when they tell you in like some writing courses to build a story? Yeah. This ain't it. it no. This is not where I want. A st- I don't want a narrative on where you're going to spend fucking money. I no. want I want to know how much money you're going to spend and what who's it going to over what time and what it's going to do and what problem it's trying to solve. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. I don't need to know about Lacey and fucking Prince George. (laughs) I really just don't. (laughs) I'm just saying. Do you have it out for Lacey? (laughs) I don't know where I got that name from. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. Wow, nice voice. <laughs> yeah. I'm Amy. You can't tell. <laughs> it's me, I swear. How tell us tell us about this. I'm not gonna tell people I lost my voice. It's embarrassing. You they were, already know. You were, <laughs> you were partying because it was your birthday. I mean, that's partially why. Happy I was also briefly sick as a result of partying last weekend. If you must know. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thirty one, baby. Oh, your little baby. Oh, cute. Please stop. <laughs> and and then with the braces, it's even cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfair. <laughs> I'm, Benjamin, I'm Benjamin buttoning so hard. You have your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. That's what they tell me. <laughs> the best is yet to <clears throat> come. <laughs> well, did you have a fun birthday? I sure did. Yeah. Great. That's all that matters. It is all that matters. Yeah. Um, awesome. Erica, what's up with you? Today's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, Erica's mother. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Another Aries. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And she wears that hard. <laughs> 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 yeah. So if she I was didn't, like, she wouldn't be an Aries. Pardon? If she didn't wear it hard, she wouldn't be an Aries. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Uh, oh, and it's my cousin's birthday, too. So, so yeah. I, I don't know many Aries. So, what are their really key traits? Talking. I feel like I only know Aries. We're assholes. We're stubborn. Uh huh. We're fire. 
Okay. Aries is the god of war. Okay. I've dated a lot of Leos, so. Oh, yeah. They're stubborn, too. They're not as, uh, it's different. They're not as adversarial? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. Aries are passionate. Yeah, there's a stubbornness. That's why it's the ram, Mm. right? Um, But also good leaders, or so they say. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The god of war. Hmm. I am a traditional Capricorn. Very, very type A. Very like, oh, the things that get me up for organization and planning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a Scorpio, (laughs) which should explain everything. (laughs) Very determined to the point of obsessive sometimes, Mm -hmm. but very loyal. Um and somewhat mysterious and engaging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I buy it. Checks out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. My new favorite Instagram accounts are astrology Instagrams. Oh, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, any any major things we want to share? I don't think so. Well, we got bumped. Yeah. Eric and I were supposed to be on CBC talking about Trudeau and his fake feminism, but uh, the non-breaking news of the Mueller report being sent to the attorney general bumped us. I don't understand the content choices myself, but like, okay. But, <laughs> and, but instead we had a lovely breakfast and we did plan how we were going to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> With ricotta pancakes. Yes. Where? Uh, Stone face dollies. Oh, funny. Nice. Yeah. I was I've also there. there, but I was probably there just after you. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were there for a comically long time. <laughs> yeah. I think they were like, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you like your bill now? We're like, uh, we just got our food. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. This week in feminism, we're going to keep it to a solo topic just because, well, we want to do a real deep dive into it. And that is the federal budget in Canada. So last week, the Liberals tabled their fourth and final budget for their term. It focused on two key constituencies for the party, millennials and seniors, providing them with incentives to quell their fears from a training benefit that allows workers to take time off to reskill themselves for a digital economy to a first-time homebuyers package to bring the government on as an equity partner. The budget also doubles... um, the funding for stamping out racism and intolerance, setting up an anti-racism strategy with an extra $45 million for community-based initiatives, plus money for mental health, suicide prevention, and a promise to make prescription drugs more affordable. Overall, the Liberals say the budget is meant to deliver on four main themes, which are, one, investing in the middle class, Uh, Two, building a better Canada, so that's more of the economy side. Three, advancing reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. And four, delivering real change. (laughs) Oh, they're still rolling with that? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Which which is kind of a catch-all for things like culture and veterans affairs, um, health, uh, public safety and justice, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, uh, any initial reactions? I have one. Okay. Tell me your initial reaction to the budget. I feel like every time they say 
that they promote real change, they have to like line item what those changes are because I don't know what it is. I'm like, do they know that everything that they say is changed? It's a really amorphous term because like any, in theory, any sort of funding you're giving to a program is therefore going to change it. So those just fake changes, like what, how, what is real change? So uh, Amy, were you impressed on Budget Tuesday? Um, I mean, not, I mean, obviously not, but uh, (laughs) I just find like, I really hate, well, any pre-election budget is always like, you know, I mean, you know what it is. And it, I mm-hmm. think you could, this one was especially transparent. Um, it was also very disappointing. So many of the things that um, liber- the liberals ran on, like pharmacare, um, had no real basis in this policy. I think they, like, promised, um, you know, to create a, a drug agency mm-hmm. um, to look at bulk purchasing. That's not really a pharmacare plan. Um, it's just like the beginning of maybe something yeah. and then a place for people who have, um, you know, expensive, uh, medications that are, you know, medically like necessary, um, that they cannot otherwise afford to be able to apply for funding, which is kind of like what Ontario does under the Trillium up uh, plan. But, you know, again, not really that radical and not really universal pharmacare, not really pharmacare at all. Um, stuff like that I found extremely disappointing. So when you talk about real change and all you see in there are like, tax break like tax benefit type programs mm-hmm. it's it's extremely frustrating i think yeah i i uh one like checked through the budget to see if any, there was anything related to where i work and there was and that was great for you know me and my colleagues um but then kind of going through it a little bit further i was like okay cool yeah we're gonna we're gonna strike up some committee to think about farmer care okay great um we're going to talk about make give some money to anti-racism cool like i have a little bit of insider knowledge about that and um from what i know that's a load of shit Mm -hmm. um in what way well they aren't allowed the people who ran consultations in their report weren't allowed to use the words white supremacy in it right (laughs) <laughs> well and even remember when the you, you know, know when you have the something minister, to add yeah. but you can't say it well mm. the minister, when <laughs> yeah. the minister responsible was like looking at and doing those like types mm-hmm. of consultations and they weren't using the expression systemic racism yeah because he didn't believe he in didn't systemic. believe in it right so like i mean that that like we know that and so we we have to imagine all of this is tinged by those by those um you know choices and perceptions of the people you know who are behind um, these proposals like mm-hmm. there's no way that they're not so you know they can spin them now but the budget only tells us so much but we you know we know the rest we can put that together yeah yeah the good thing about like the anti-racism strategy is that it goes to community partners so it's just like a grants and contributions program in which case they'll put out like a call for proposals for some sort of programming mm. and then like that money will be put into the community by community organizations working on these issues but at the same time like we don't really know yet what those programs will be sure. we don't even know the community the community organizations that they are conferring with we don't know how this how they are being advised that's the other thing i mean i am okay i mean speaking of anti-racism um trudeau stood up in the house this week on tuesday and I think it was Tuesday, and talked about uh, white supremacy and racism and so on and so forth. Great speech. 
I mean, mm-hmm. kudos to somebody to whoever wrote that speech. It was it was a really good speech, and it did it definitely put the conservatives on notice. Like it was not so if if there was any speech that was a subtweet, that was it. You know what I mean? Mm. And so that's fine and that's great. And, you know, but it's not like it's in the throne speech. Sure. You know, and the throne speech is hella important because that's what sets the priorities for the government. Now, I'm as does the budget. So I'm glad that they're giving money to this. But as in typical liberal fashion, we don't know where this money is going, what sort of projects that they wa- they are they are thinking of funding. Like, would we um, be a project that they would fund? Right. I would call us an anti-racism, um, among other things, you know, not stopping sure. at that project. And so, I, you know, there's not much transparency and the devil's already in the details. And I want to, I want to wait to see, I believe this is heritage, right? Yeah. I want to wait to see with this dude who apparently doesn't believe in systemic racism, but whatever and does and you know from from a government that's been hesitant or a public service maybe that's been hesitant to use the words white supremacy i don't know but at the end of the day i want to see what this looks like i want to see who this goes to and if you are going to tout real change i want you to tell me what you actually changed well and that's kind of the the problem with the way we do the budget is that like departments put in proposals um so they've up throughout after the budget. So like from, I don't know, let's say last Tuesday to basically the fall sometime or the winter. Although like assuming this is an, a, a, um, an election year in a normal year, um, departments would put through memoranda to cabinet to seek funding for various things. And those things go to cabinet and cabinet effectively says, yes, like we endorse this. Um, and that kind of like earmarks that, that funding to be either put into a speech from the throne or an economic update or in the budget. But then those things that get approved by cabinet have to go through the process. They have to be put into a budget letter from the department that goes to the department of finance and finance is like, Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we know we have X billions of dollars to spend and okay. So we want to, these are the priorities that we've received from the prime minister and his office and okay, so we're going to pick these things. They have all these meetings. And so if you have an ask that's $500 million, you might only get $150 mm-hmm. million. And then you have to kind of figure out, okay, which parts do they fund? Usually you don't get the full amount. Im- well, in, it, there are circum- like circumstances like cybersecurity will probably get the full amount. It d- um, yeah, it indigenous services is often likely gets a lot of their money. Right. Uh, I know the anti-racism stuff got all of their money. Oh, they did. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that like, but those are priorities that are set by the prime minister, usually with the the minister of finance. But yeah. it seems to me like this prime minister likes to run the show, which is listen. This Fine. is not a knock. It's it's just the way it's done. Yeah. It seems like PMO, the prime minister's office, has the power and is is setting those directives. Yeah, and like there are a lot of times I think where the memoranda to cabinet are rushed and so they don't necessarily have all of the terms and conditions of like a grants and contributions program ironed out. Right. Because there still is once you are 
receive money through the budget or through the speech from the throne or whatever mechanism, you still have to apply to treasury board to have those funds released to you. Yeah. And usually those, those funds will be released once you meet those exact conditions that you were talking Mm -hmm. about. So there's a treasury board process through which government departments get funded. And that process is usually you have to have what they call a source of funds Mm -hmm. for anything that you want um, to be put into what they call an estimates bill. This is a lot of inside baseball, I understand, but we're actually explaining to you how government funds programs. And so it goes into an estimates bill and then the House votes on that bill. Mm -hmm. So through the Treasury Board process, it's kind of Treasury Board is kind of the gatekeeper in terms of whether or not you get on that bill for Parliament to to vote on spending. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and usually those details are worked out at that. Stage. Yeah. And so like, as I think as much as we would love to see like who is eligible for these, this programmatic funding, a lot of the time they just don't know at the time uh, when the budget is presented. Fair. Which is, and I'm not asking for that. Kind I'm, of shitty, but also yeah. like, I get it. But at the same time, the department is going to announce this funding. So that's when they should have their shit together. Yeah and tell us where it's going, who it's going to, how much it's going to, what kind of programs they are funding. But I will be keeping my eye out on that mm-hmm. because I saw opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, the budget, I mean, the budget is in the end, all be all document. No. I mean, that's, that's the first thing you have to know. I mean, even the, um, you know, the public prosecutions exception mm-hmm. thing that they had for deferred prosecution agreements was in a budget and it was a single line buried in there that said that they would be harder on prosecuting corporations that was how they framed the deferred prosecution agreements in the budget in which it was introduced i understand it was and uh, that was a all, budget implementation bill that it was introduced in. but that like in, but in the document when they were in like in the document when they were framing what it was uh-huh. that was like that was how they promoted it Right. There's one sentence. Well, here doesn't tell you shit about shit. So you have to pay yeah, attention all yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah, That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is a yeah. public policy exercise. It's not it, anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's why like it's a black box if you're outside of, you know, the purview of the federal government. If you don't know how this shit works, like we all know how this shit works from different angles, right? But if you don't know how the government operates and how it spends money then i really do wonder how effective citizens themselves can be let's put it that way yeah so um the liberal government is really big on the line of supporting the middle class and those who wish to join it and what is the middle class exactly? well and, and they use this line almost comically so often and um so do we think that this budget does that at all i mean this budget like to me shows how little they know about what people's actual financial situations are like the biggest thing is that i mean this bill was meant to be um addressing their um you know their loss with certain demographics going into the election particularly millennials who they're tied neck and neck with across all three parties which is 
as a terrifying reminder to everyone that not all millennials are progressives. So, you know, 28% support the conservative party. So just like bear that in mind. Um, it's a three-way race for the millennial vote, but the liberals introduced this first time homeowners, um, you know, yeah. whatever they call it. Um, so you have, you know, a, a better shot at getting a mortgage. It's supposed to reduce the price ultimately by like offset it by 10% or something ridiculous, but it's all based on you having money in your RRSPs. Yeah. I, I don't know anyone. I literally don't know anyone in my group of people who are young professionals who even has money in their fucking RRSP because of student debt or whatever else. It, it, honestly, it's baffling to me that they are so ignorant um, of those financial realities. And if they're not, and if ultimately people are doing better in other parts of the country, that may be true. But in the major city hubs where housing shortages are an issue and where people, and that's where people who need help getting mortgages or whatever, it's Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, and now increasingly even Montreal mm -hmm. is having this issue with, with rising housing costs. Um, it's in those cities that people do have one student debt. And even uh, like, you know, Whatever the more like whatever the mortgage amount like threshold like one hundred and twenty thousand or whatever it is, it's like no one is meeting that. So I, I have it's just to me it's baffling, um, and I don't think it's I think um, I, I think their understanding of middle class is distorted. Um, yeah, and I think people's understanding of middle class is distorted. Everyone thinks they're middle class. That's why that expression works. But the reality is people are not. People, people are more lower income than they are middle class in most, in most parts of North America. Um, and we, we don't like to speak of ourselves in those terms. Um, we like to say we're middle class mm -hmm. or aspiring to be middle class. But all that does is distort the reality of our financial burdens and our financial precarity. I, I, I think the first time home buyer incentive um, is, I, I will say this, I, I personally like that. Yeah. So just um, yeah. a quick thing. So what it the first time homebuyer incentive is is it's meant to make uh, home ownership more affordable, and uh, it uses a unique financing model that has been used by affordable housing associations and nonprofits across the country and elsewhere, and it enables homebuyers to reduce the amount of money required for from an insured mortgage without increasing the amount they must save for a down payment. So the incentive. Um, in partnership with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation would provide up to $1.25 billion over three years to el eligible home buyers by sharing the cost of the mortgage. So basically, um, if a borrower purchases a $400,000 home with a 5% down payment and a 5% CMHC shared equity mor mortgage of about $20,000, the size of the borrow borrower's insured mortgage would be reduced from three hundred and eighty thousand dollars to three hundred and sixty, lowering the average the monthly mortgage bill. Um, but uh, the incentive is available to first-time homebuyers with a household incomes less under one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per year. And I would like to know who with a one hundred and twenty thousand dollar household income can afford a four hundred thousand dollar house, like in their example. I just like really, which just goes to what Amy was saying. Yeah. Is that, dude, like of all the examples, they use an example that seems a little even out of reach. Well, of just people, doesn't address yeah, the of households like that debt make ratios. And it doesn't, yeah. Like yeah. that makes no sense to me. It doesn't address debt and it doesn't address 
or like the housing market itself. Um, I mean, it's a fine idea. I just think it's like, you know, it, it just plays into this narrative that people should one be owning homes and should want to be, um, you know, like exert like exerting more like taking on more financial debt as well because that's really what a mortgage is right yeah instead of addressing people's current debt problems whether students debt or um you know other forms of debt that people may have and i I don't know anyone who really does have savings like substantial savings even to go towards down payments because of uh, you know, debt to equity ratio. Yeah. Among and so, right? so uh, it allows buyers, first time buyers to withdraw up to $25,000 from their registered retirement savings plan or their RRSP to purchase or build a home without having to pay tax on the withdrawal, which is literally why the tax free savings account exists. That's true. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole purpose of the TFSA is to be able to withdraw that money at any time and not pay tax on it. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of like they've skirted what the TFSA is. Yeah, so it looks like and it's something like, new. Meanwhile, you've got people who are using their RRSPs for who are actually are putting able to put money in them and like taking twenty five thousand dollars out of their retirement savings while m- maybe also having a TFSA. But well, the, and and the problem is people should have retirement savings. So yeah, I mean it, it's yeah it's a misuse of that vehicle, and I think it it's a, just deferring. For their problems, like there is an issue for a lot of seniors is that they have they have equity in homes, but they don't have retirement savings like that is another issue. Right. Mm -hmm. For a lot of Canadians. So it just seems um, silly to sort of add like add to that confusion of this is, you know, what an RSP is for. Right. Um, Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's all again, it's all well, a form of pandering. Here's the thing is that, you know, we it. okay. So there used to be a time when you would have pensions and from your workplace. Mm -hmm. Well, that went to hell in the 80s. Thanks, baby boomers. And um, and so now we have schemes that encourage you borrowing from future earnings Mm -hmm. to fund current consumption. That is a recipe for disaster. And it's going to exacerbate the issue of um, senior poverty mm-hmm. even more in the future. Because we are now dealing with, if you look at millennials and the, um, I don't want to say, yes, hashtag not all millennials, whatever. But the point is, is that there are a group of people who are starting out with precarious work they they don't have a consistent work history and when i say consistent i mean one which builds upon the skills of the last job you had um that's one uh there's a lot of debt out there that's two and so for us to encourage rrsp borrowing i I don't like that sort of option. I just don't like it well, because it's not it's not as though you're just borrowing the amount that you're borrowing. Mm-hmm. You're borrow you're you're giving up. There's an opportunity cost of the interest you would have gained. Yeah. And um that's a cost of borrowing from yourself from the future. Yeah, and then I think that um I think the liberals were hoping that in partnering this with improvements to um, the old age security 
um, program and the Quebec pension plans that they would be able to kind of offset this, you know, taking money from your retirement savings. I mean, if you're talking about people on OAS, that's not really the same people, though. Uh, no. So that's what's wild to me. This is not. Yeah. And they're also trying to. They're if you're also expecting these people to be on OAS, I mean, at least that's honest. But like. Sure. Uh, and they're also like um, supporting um, the G- um, supplementing the GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement. Right. But um, yeah. So um, going to the whole point about um, s- debt and student debt and you know in the part portion about um education mm-hmm. um the liberals talked about how you know they'd made school more affordable um for people by um reducing um they've now decided to give kind of a grace period on your student loans it's Curious to me that this is how they view making education more affordable than actually making education more affordable. Mm-hmm. And by, so they've also, I think, introduced several other like bursaries and scholarships and weight and eligibility requirements for student loans. Is that actually like I, I was able to not have student loans. But so like how can how do you think they can justify that as making school more affordable? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's already some degree of allowance for deferred payments on your student loans. If you have a certain income or you want to put a whole, put it on pause, you can do that. You just continue to accrue interest after a certain point. But at some point in the first year, you can put it on hold. Um, and I think Ontario reduced their length. So now the federal you know, length is, is a bit longer. So there are odds. But um, it was a little bit of a fuck you to Doug Ford. But... Um, that they extended the grace period when he reversed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I mean, it doesn't make a difference. The issue is at the outset. It's the ticket price of education is a deterrent and is a barrier. Um, if you can't have someone, I mean, for, so for and, and more to the point, OSAP and other forms of student loans will not cover the cost of education. Mm-hmm. They absolutely will not. They don't cover the full cost of tuition. They don't call. And most people do not live in cities where there are universities or colleges that they can attend. So the cost of university is the cost of living in a city. Yeah. So either offer a guaranteed income or something for that people can live while they go to school. Um, so that people aren't working two, three jobs to put themselves through school. Don't worry. They lowered the interest rates on student loans. Oh, well, well I mean, you know, that's if that was retroactive, uh, that would be great for me. <laughs> but, um, but I think that a lot of people's low. I mean, so there's two <laughs> issues. So there's the OSAP debt or the, the national student loan program, right? The, the federal and provincial mm-hmm. are mixed and you pay them to the whatever. Um, and and. First of all, they should lower the interest rate because they're offering you, offering you an interest rate that's higher than any bank will offer you. So it's it's a, they're making you know money even more than corporations are making money off of or a so, line of credit. So that's wild. Well, what I mean is a line of credit from a bank yeah. on a student loan, right? Um, it's at least one to two percent higher um, than the loans you can get privately. And I know a lot, a lot of people will take out a, a a line a student line of credit and use that to pay off their OSAP or mm-hmm. or student loan because it's cheaper. Uh, over time so that's I, I think that that's messed up they're, they're actually making money i don't know why mo like sh- i don't know why there even needs to be you know interest like interests or much of interest at all frankly on student loans let i mean you know they want they don't want to talk about free tuition fine but why are you making money off students having having debt because to be educated and money, trained they're making money off youth well, but th- exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's entirely, it's, it's a ra- it's a fucking racket. It is. And, it is. 
It is. It's youth. It's it's the fact that people are at the twi- at the beginning of their career. They know that they can milk you for how many years, which is gross, to be honest, if you really think about it. Anyway, sorry. Go on. But then you have, um, you know, I mean, again, like the total cost of university is still th- so much significantly greater than the cost of uh, tuition and books. And until that until that whole thing is addressed you'll never get anywhere so most people have private lines of credit for for school um or credit card debt or whatever you can you can manage to get and a lot and many people who never go to university but wish to cannot get private lines of credit mm. they can't get can't get co-signers and a lot of people can't get co-signers there are a lot of sad stories of people who had to you know ask their teachers ask people in their communities to co-sign for them their family couldn't like couldn't do it there are a lot of um you know uh, indigenous folks who banks won't loan to um, and can't get can't co-sign because of like the very structural things in our banking like system there are a lot of like communities that are like system systemically disenfranchised from going to university yeah. for these reasons right um, and so you know you can go to school you can put it on hold for a year work on and off work part-time but it's not I mean that ultimately you're getting a very different experience and you're not going to get the same job opportunities when you do that as the person who attended full time and, you know, didn't have to worry about those things and came out without debt. Um, it's just completely inequitable. Uh, I, I, and honestly, there's nothing more, um, there's nothing better than a universal program. It's it, it, it that to remove those barriers every time you have to apply for a program or there's no guarantee or the program is contingent on terms that could change at a moment's notice you're screwing people over or they don't they don't have faith in applying to that program with OSEP you know you saw the Ford government um, change the terms of people's loans part way through and based on their last budget um, and, you know, like and, and converting instead of com- what the liberals used to do, which was every few years they would convert loans to grants and you would magically have a certain amount taken off, which was always a treat that was pleasant. The conservatives did the opposite in Ontario. The PCs mm-hmm. did the opposite, which is like fucking astounding. I hope someone sues them for that, because that is I mean, to me that like that's horrendous that you could sign a contract with the government to get a, to get a grant or a loan and have that to have the terms of it changed midway through um, your university education or while you're in repayment. But the, these are the types of conditions government is applying to students um, for the simple act of getting education, which they often which they love to laud as the you know, the most admirable you know thing our society can do is educate young people. I think it's mm-hmm. bullshit. That's very disingenuous when they say that. Yeah. How's that for the middle class? <laughs> Listen, it's also for those who want to join it. Well, clearly not. Um <laughs> uh, So the liberals are also real keen on getting more women to work in careers that are historically considered to be men's work, such as the trades. Um this budget <laughs> The liberals <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> also, we've seen how they treat women in careers that are usually um, ascribed to men. They just send men to to tell them what to do. Well, exactly. <laughs> so this budget commits five million dollars to, quote, develop a strategy and improve capacity to better measure, monitor and address gender disparity and promote access of underrepresented groups across skills programming. What the fuck does that mean? 
trades and skills Hi- highly skilled no, labor I, i'm trying to figure yeah. out what this entire what that entire thing yeah. meant like yeah what does it look like it's a word salad okay um and yet the little seems to be done about also changing the culture of these work environments to be more welcoming and safe for women and other marginalized groups so what would it look like if so is there anything that can be done in conjunction with these sorts of policies that can like the funding, the dollars that can make these jobs more attractive to women and other marginalized groups. Like how do we simultaneously change the culture while also encouraging women to participate in these, this employment? Well, you have to have a strategy to change the culture. You have to do it intentionally. You can't just be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And that's it. Right. You can't build it and hope that they'll come. Exactly. Like there are actually, you know, people who do that, by the way, mm-hmm. um, if to me, I, I, I feel that there's somebody to do everything. <laughs> so like I, I, the cultural change is the hardest change. Absolutely. It's going to be the change that's going to take the most amount of time, the most amount of effort and the most amount of resources. Yeah. Well, it's like the liberals and their the They're, liberals can't even change their own shit. Well, the thing is that like um, the big thing that they ran on in 2015 was hashtag ad women change politics. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, that is a complete utter bullshit. Why the fuck after seeing after how Jane Philpott, Jody Wilson, Raybould and uh, MP Selena have been treated? Why would I get into politics? Which woman would see this vitriol in politics and say, yeah, I, I totally want to join Quick that. sign me up. Quick sign me up. And then you wonder why good people don't Put get me into in, po- politics. Fuck off. Anyway, back to change. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, you know, these, these ideas of getting women into the trades is great. Uh, I think that, like, generally, I think that, you know, women have a lot to offer this type of work. I just don't know that like, it's just not something that I would ever feel safe or welcome in entering. So I knew a girl who was a plumber and the issue with her, cause you have to go through an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. The issue is getting a male dominated field and a male dominated company to take a so quote unquote chance on a woman. Yeah. So, you know, if you think that, you know, because people like to tell you, well, a company will just automatically choose the best person. And it's like, no, there are actors in that company that are be are acting on their own set of values, privileges, ideas, experiences, biases, biases all of that. And um, I, I think that. I think that a lot of the structural, there's a structural bias and a lot of that structural bias is still going, I know is still going unchecked and unchallenged. And I know the liberals are trying to, you know, do what they do, which is, you know, slough off a little at the edges and tell you that they've changed shit. But at the end of the day, unless you're going to change these attitudes I mean, there's some things that they can do that are within their control around trades because a lot of trades work is done through government investments and projects. And, and they do have um, 
a certain threshold if you are a contractor of the government uh, where the Employment Equity Act applies. Uh, and I think they, that threshold was um, increased significantly, so it doesn't capture a lot of contractors um, as it used to in the federal contractor program. Mm. But that's one thing that you could do, and then you can, and then you also have to give that teeth. So not just metrics on employment equity, but actually enforce it and only give to bidders who have hired people who are, yeah. uh, who ha- you know, like have better proportions or better rates or say, see what the, the, you know, the industry is and then set the standard. And, and because that's where most of the money and uh, not most, but, you know, a significant chunk, at least within the federal government's control um, is that. And, uh, and as long as you have most companies, you know, do gov- some version of government work, they will do that in the private sector as well. They'll be hiring more women. You can you can set those types of um, not just incentives, but regulations around that. And, and they already know that. And that's been told to them time and again by by, uh, you know, even unions um, in, in trade trade uh, in, in the trades area have, have said that as well. So there's a lot more you can do. Um, that's that's it within their control, and then the other thing is making sure that trades programs and and, and whatever else are, are run in, in a more open way. But I don't know. I mean, it's necessarily like run in an open way. It's more just like in, even just incentivizing those programs to bring in more women. Well, I mean, right. yeah, incentivize yeah. them, or also give out scholarships, give yeah. out aid, like give out aid in a way that is targeted, right? Yeah, it's basically um, an inclusion rider yeah. for like the trades. But you, I mean, you can do that. They put sure. all sorts of other restrictions on what bidders can or can't do, or what universities can and can't do. There are all, you know, all sorts of, um, I mean, you know, not necessarily the federal government on on the universities and colleges front, but you can, you can create a federal program that would create would you know open up those spots or fund those spots. Um, but again, the federal contractor program that's a very big example. The other issue though is that there's so many subcontractors, mm-hmm. and it gets further and further away, and they need to crack down on that, and that's long overdue. That they've they've allowed private industry to really um, for so and, and in ways that affect workers and you know uh, pay people under the table, not pay them you know a, you know a good rate. They the conservatives took away um, you know the the financial the, the you know the rate that the federal government had set for its contractor programs and weren't enforcing it. Um, so that now you have these multiple layers of contractors and subcontractors, but this idea, but they they don't want to regulate business, right? So it's all about incentivizing people from a social perspective, which we know is is not necessarily um, effective, right? You can talk, you know, you can talk ad nauseum about why it's good to have women there, but unless you, you unless you force people to do it. You know, I don't think it, I don't think they're going to do it out of their own volition. You know, it's a it's because we still are on this hearts and minds bullshit when it comes to these issues. We have this idea that well, as long as somebody mean doesn't mean to exclude people, it's a okay. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't give a shit about your intentions. Mm-hmm. Like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We all know this. Yet we are forced, um, like racialized people women um lgbtq to plus people etc etc indigenous people etc etc are encouraged to just wait until people's hearts and minds decide to change Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. your to to Mm -hmm. include you and we treat it as though it's it's a moral good it's not a moral good it's literally including people in fucking society to take part in that society at its base level i mean the thing is like you know rates are cheap right um here's my big thing that if i had a proposal 
that could have gone and I would have loved just I mean it's not a budget proposal but a proposal for the government to like address systemic uh, discrimination or discrimination in general it would be to change and that's within the federal government specific purview is to change the Can- Canadian Human Rights Act because the Canadian Human Rights Act which would apply to um, you know the federal government uh, as an employer applies to all federally regulated industries and workers and businesses uh, sets out you know you can't discriminate in employment you can't discriminate in, in giving services and all of these things but it sets a cap, a financial cap at what you can get in terms of damages. And the cap is $20,000 for pain and suffering and $20,000 for reckless and willful. So that means the most you can get, let's say you were discriminated, you were raped at work, you were fired because of it. Like literally the worst things that in terms of discriminatory conduct in the workplace. If that happens to you as because you were a woman, that would be a human rights issue. The legislation says the most you can get for your harm, for the harm itself is $40,000. Wow. Now that doesn't include lost wages and that kind of thing, but that's $40,000. The value of it that, that we've, we've tied to discrimination and what it's worth in terms of the harm it causes you, it, it's, it's the cost of doing business in mm-hmm. Canada until that changes. Um, and forces people to look at their hiring practices, how you know how they look at applicants, how they who they let in, and what their numbers are, how they treat people when they get there, how they respond to sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. There, there's nothing. There's neither neither any incentive nor any consequence to doing it, and I mean, and that's fully within this federal government's control to do that. And frankly, I think it's discriminatory that you have a legislation that allows the courts and tribunals to artificially limit what you can get just because you fit these characteristics. Mm -hmm. And if you were, you know, experience another type of harm not based on those characteristics, you could get whatever you wanted to argue in pain and suffering. Yeah, that's that's systemic, too. So absolutely. So this is how we get systemic. (laughs) It's my dream charter challenge. Oh, so the budget also included or and hit. "Quote unquote historic investment, 160 million over five years for the new women's program at the newly named Department of Status and Women, which is now the Department mm-hmm. for Women and Gender Equality. Um, the the money will total 100 million annually, and the funding will enable further community action to tackle systemic barriers impeding women's progress. Curious phrasing." Uh, while recognizing and addressing the diverse experiences of gender and inequality across the country. Women and gender equality? What? Could you be more vague? Yeah. And so so we're only interested in equality for women and genders and nothing else? Like, I, I'm not sure. I, w- I don't like that name because that name in itself is exclusive. Mm. I, I mean, I think the name was meant to include gender where it was only women before. I understand that. It was meant that. to be ex- inclusive in that sense. But, but where's the equity stuff? Oh, I mean, I, I agree, but... Why don't they run equity? I, I agree. It should be equity. Yeah. I think equality is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what kind of compromises it took to even get to gender. Fair, you, can, fair, you fair. can imagine like real women Canada and all those. Can other you imagine the public organizations <laughs> kind of fighting against all sorts of shit? Yes, but it, yeah. God, only, God only knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, so but I agree, equity. You're right. You're absolutely right. It should be equity. So the 2019 budget, much like other ones 
um, proposed by the liberals had a GBA plus analysis to go with it. Um, the government went uh, went through e- basically went through each of their proposals and assessed whether there would be any sort of negative implications for any marginalized communities. And I want to kind of do a bit of a deep dive on this um, because I think it's bullshit. Do explain, Aaron. So um, basically they assessed the the policy proposals and they identified the main, major beneficiaries of the budget measures. So 8% uh, predominantly benefit men, 12% predominantly benefit women, and 80% broadly gen- um, um, help out both or all genders. Cool. Fine. Sure. Okay. I have issues I mean, already. That, that's a Girl, I opened up the document and the first thing I'm like, what is this bullshit? Like, key GBA plus milestones to 2015, Canada's first gender balanced cabinet. Yeah, but not by you. The mm. first one was in Alberta. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so basically, the uh, GBA analysis also includes a target population for budget measures. So there's a nice little pie chart. If you're looking at your GBA analysis, it's chart 5.10. And um, it uh, <laughs> it talks about the value of the measures. Um, and so there were 86 measures in this budget representing 40% of the value of the new budget. And those are intended to benefit all Canadians. Meanwhile, an additional 83 represented 49% of the total value of new measures, which were aimed at very specific groups. Um, and in a number of cases, these were aimed at more than just one of those groups. So, for example, um, implementing the Jordan's principle seeks to help uh, First Nations children and has been counted as targeting both First Nations and youth. Um, 29 measures represented represent 11% of the value of new measures were aimed at particular regions or sector, sectors, depending on, so like, um, the north or rural areas. And um, yeah, then there's this whole section on indigenous people. Anyway, my point is that like the the GBA process talks about how 66% of the, bu- the 2019 budget measures were performed early in developmental, in the development phase or had been performed on the existing program, which is really when they should be done. But then there was a whole bunch that hadn't been done until like after the fact because it was just like an afterthought. Um, but then also there's also a chart, chart 5.9. It talks, it shows two different bar charts. And so there is one where it says the number of proposals that had mitigation strategies to kind of alleviate the negative impacts Roughly 66% of the proposed measures in the budget do not have differential impacts based on any sort of marginalizing characteristics. So whether that's gender or rural regional representation or race or et cetera, 66% were viewed to have no differentiating impact. And I call absolute bullshit on that. Mm -hmm. 66% of budget measures impact everyone equally that is such bullshit yes wow yep 
I feel like we're we're doing them a public service just by having this podcast because I swear that we've gone through so many areas where there are differential um, impacts of policy and uh, especially of existing policy. And I feel like that's our whole fucking podcast. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that it only applies to 33% of measures. Seriously? No, there's no way. Like there's no fucking way. Even like (laughs) to me. Okay. You know what this says to me is I feel like they're counting, um, measures that are there you know measures that are specifically directed to certain people or to certain um groups they're taking those out and then they're assuming all the rest apply equally exactly yeah exactly so they're like oh so this thing for seniors um helps low-income seniors but okay cool so that's like oh well low-income seniors well they're all going to be affected the same way which is not the well same. yeah exactly yeah and we you can't we, make that we already know that they have issues with that and issues with with doing gba plus altogether because they don't have any way of like even surveying people's gender first of all like that's one huge like statistical issue but then they all like they don't do this type of analysis on an intersectional perspective. So no. there's also that. No. Like, like these numbers there's are no completely way. bullshit. All right. Well, stay tuned for rant and receipts. And now we're on to rant and receipts where we each rant about something. Cool. Well, I just want to talk about how conservatives have yet again co-opted this idea of feminism for their own, like, ridiculous sense god knows whatever those are what else is new um yeah i mean it's just so fucking annoying to hear concern i mean look we can say trude is a fake feminist as feminist but like honestly when candace bergen and michelle rempel are up in the house i mean I, at least one of them self ascribes as a feminist but i mean i'd call bullshit on that as well but uh, the fact that she is willing to stand behind andrew Shear like really answers for you whether or not she is but I mean, it's baffling to me that, you know, I mean, if you want to like really harm yourself, go look at the fake feminist hashtag. Um, Like it is just all these all these conservatives (laughs) tripping over themselves to like call out Trudeau's so-called hypocrisy. Yeah, Trudeau's a hypocrite. But what do they know about feminism? Just it's just complete nonsense. But it really reminded me of like um, a number of years ago, probably like a decade ago now. I was involved in creating, like, whatever, a a thing for a women's organization that was funded by the conservatives. So our program that I had developed that was, like, kind of my brainchild was one of the few things that got funding from the conservatives under the status, after they had, like, made these massive cuts to status of women. I don't know if you remember, um, but after the conservatives came in, they like cut all this funding to community organizations, women's yes. organizations. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like the one program that they continued to fund was this like young women's leadership program through Equal Voice, which was my my brainchild. And they like were up in the House of Commons talking about, you know, like they would get questions from the NDP and the liberals and they would and the questions were, you know, you've cut all this women's to re- like, cut, all, cut all these funds for women's organizations with crisis centers, all these things. And the conservatives' response was, well, we gave, you know, two million, like whatever it was, like two million dollars to Equal Voice so that young women could like be mentored, like all this nonsense. It was like literally the most painful 
like at minute ever of like my life was like <laughs> those exchanges of questions and that was a comment to be like used as a fucking pawn by the conservative party of canada to like talk about how they care about women they absolutely do not but the fact that they've like co-opted this discussion that you know feminists legitimately started online to further their bullshit campaign against like Trudeau and obscuring the fact that they would have done the exact same thing when it came to SNC Lavalin is just so insulting to my intelligence. I feel so used and so dirty right now. I just wanted to commiserate with everyone. Um, and that's my rant. I think the conservatives think we're dumb. Oh, they think we're so stupid. They're absolutely, absolutely. It's like we see through you. Like you don't believe in shit. That's for women. Everything you do. It actually harms us. Well, I mean, like, and we we just survived like a decade's worth of this shit. Like, we're we have memory. Yeah, yeah. I I think that you know when we interviewed Michelle Rempel last year, she said she would consider herself a feminist, and I think she believes that in a the very literal sense in which she wants like equality for women and having in terms of equal opportunity. But as we've, you know, kind of talked about at the beginning of the podcast in our last segment, we talked we started talking about equity. And I don't believe like the conservatives believe in equity. And I also know that they believe in that like women in general in term in not understanding that black women or trans women or whatever experience the world in different ways and have different systemic biases against them and they have to overcome so many different barriers and they're just like well women in general have barriers the end we're gonna like lower the barriers for women full stop well and they're definitely of the model like you know they they believe in yeah that really like low-hanging fruit equality of like you know we are not going to harm or or persecute women Mm -hmm. or like whatever, like whatever, like that, like lowest common denominator isn't talking about like leadership in these like flowery terms. Like they were against quotas. They're against Mm -hmm. um, any like meaningful measures that like actually would implement. It's all, it's very individualist driven. They're very like the capitalist model. It's like corporate capitalism. It's trickle down economic, it's trickle down feminism. Really? For sure. And it's like corporate branding form of feminism. (laughs) And, that that they're that you know they 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 plaster on when it's convenient it's not, and when it's not and they're in other circles they never they would never even reference the term they would never use it it's not any Andrew sort of she- meaningful change yeah. that yeah. they're seeking yeah and you'll remember too Andrew Shear did that interview with I think Chatelaine and he said oh, he was yeah. a feminist that was right. the most laughable over moment of a my beer life. my uh, eyes were bleeding and my ears because I was <laughs> like that I, I, I can't even. Like, are you trying to be funny right now? Because I, yeah. I can't believe that you're saying this with a straight face and that you expect me to believe it. Like, you you, you do know that we, like, read, right? Well, like, and, like, and it's I tricky, hope. right? Like, I mean, who owns feminism and who gets to guard it? I mean, those are very big questions because obviously that's been used to keep people out and keep feminism white and, you know, for a certain mm-hmm. type of person. And I don't think it's about keeping people away from using the term, but it's about, you know, using a critical eye of of who gets to call themselves that. And why are you calling yourself that? And here it's really just to 
attack the prime minister where it hurts because he has built himself as a feminist. And so it's a strategic decision on their part. It's not out of a genuine belief that they are concerned for these women. And it is not because mm. they act. And if they were and they would have been in the in Trudeau's shoes, they were being lobbied by SNC. If they were in cabinet and they had and they had the minister and AG, you know, on, you know, and it's one of their camp, they for sure would have offered, a, you know, a deferred prosecution sure. agreement. I guarantee you that. Um, and I guarantee you they would have done all sorts of things to further their vote in Quebec. And they would have done, you know, whatever it sh- like, you know, all of this sort of nonsense. They're just it's another way of them. Um, so I think it's illegitimate to question people. Why are you using in the same way that we would question brands and corporations mm-hmm. that are now trying to, you know, frame feminism as, you know, this sort of like sexy branding exercise that they're part of it's it's well no if, if it's a money-making exercise for you i don't want it if you actually are about you know good employment opportunities for women or ending discrimination or ending harassment or whatever it is then sure but we're going to need receipts right feminism is a social justice movement first absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and we shouldn't let it be co-opted by other interests now and and we can talk about what what it means to have legit like legitimate values and that varies and it's and feminism isn't a checklist that's that's held out it changes and it evolves and we've said that countless times but um i think yeah it's it's so it's just it's so absurd that these people think that we can we're not, we don't see through them when they when they lob this title as if women are these women and, and feminists and you know are, are these mindless folks who are, are going to follow anyone who uses the expression of feminism without, without, um, you know, scrutinizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, re- the big reason why Trudeau has found himself in this mess is because he set the bar so incredibly high and he's, so he true, set the true, standard true, true. so high and that it just made it, it, there was no kind of self-reflection understanding like whether or not that was something he could actually reasonably achieve and I do you think, think this guy takes a second thought at whatever no, he does? Absolutely, there's no fucking absolute, reflection at ab- all. No, no. And I think yeah. that that's his that's his hubris and his his downfall. Yeah. Um, but I will say where the feminism angle has actually kind of been met is that he was like, well, they can say whatever they want to say. He didn't, you know, he's allowing them to speak, and they're kind of speaking whatever they want they're not towing the party line they're kind of rebelling and i can't necessarily see that happening in the conservative caucus well i mean allowing them to speak uh, i mean the whole discussion of fake feminism came from the committee the justice committee barring them from from speaking i think it's i think it's also fake when trudeau says we're allowing them to speak when there is a lot left unanswered yes. about whether or not they actually can yes. in reality, right? Yes. Um, because of whatever privilege attaches or, or what I think the it's more that like he's speaking. saying that like if they wanted to give some sort of interview they could. Which fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I, I don't know. We wanna put it on we want it set in the house, so there's like a certain level of like meaning behind that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so I'm just gonna say what I would have said on C V C and mm. so First of all, mm. let's 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 do a, a a little bit of recent history here. Trudeau became a a, a a feminist after Obama said he was a feminist. Now I can believe that Obama is a feminist because number one, Michelle. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> that's basically why. You know uh, what's her name? Uh, you know, sing song at MLK. What's her name? Sophie's no Michelle. Oh, mm. Sing song. <laughs> 
fucking hell. I still remember that. Um, when it comes to feminism, I always look like to me, I always felt like he needed a look under the hood. Second of all, he is not he is not the one who ushered in a gender balanced cabinet. That was Rachel Notley. The fact that he gets so much credit for doing what a woman has done in the same basically in the same year. OK, is everything raw is everything misogyny, mm. everything. OK, third of all, um, I think that, yes, he is a fake feminist because um, at the end of the day, he doesn't live these values. He doesn't he he uses them as a branding tool to get votes from women. That's what he does. Fine. Whatever. Now. People will say, oh, but, you know, the budget and what and the policy. And I agree. He's taken women's sort of I, I don't want to. He's say done better than anyone than else. anyone else than any federal. But that was a fucking low bar. Sure. We had the conservative. Let's let's but, just but review. Not like you you do it. And then we never question anything you do. after. Right. That. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you, you did it. Cool. OK. We still get to talk about the things you didn't do. And what every time you were shitty to women like we don't. It's not a get out of like misogyny free card <laughs> after you do a couple good things. Well, and so part of what I was going to say on the CBC was that, like... And I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just thought I needed to say that. No, 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 no. I stand that. We may have a title. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was going to say on the CBC was that, you know, this is just kind of, like, a, another thing, the SNC situation, another thing in Trudeau's kind of problematic issues with women. And it started with putting Miriam Monsaf in democratic institutions um, botching those consultations and then Word. kind of throwing the whole thing out and being like, oh, well, we don't really need to do this anyway because actually the recommendations don't favor us in the long term. So uh, we'll just uh, shuffle you out and put you somewhere else where it doesn't really matter. And uh, bye. Yeah. Oh, okay. He used he used her to further his... Um, he made her the and, scapegoat yeah, and then for his dishonesty. And then didn't deliver on a key election promise yeah. that mattered a lot to women. That it mattered a lot to women and young people yes, and a yes. lot of folks who had you know, v- voted on that issue specifically. There were a lot of people who voted there on were, that issue specifically. There were. I remember being in line at Ottawa's municipal election and the two dudes in front of me, these guys were under 30. They were talking about, I think Trudeau had just I don't know that for some reason, I think that was the time when everybody was talking about it. I think something happened or he or he officially said that he wasn't going to pursue this any longer or something like that. And basically what they said was, well, that's the reason I voted for him. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, they're going to have to do a lot of work to bring these people out again because once bitten twice shy. Right. On like on top of that, like I, I. I also want to remind people that policy is not where it ends. Like Amy just said, you don't get a blanket of, of, of excuses because you did one thing. Okay. Like at the end of the day, the man obviously, in my opinion, does not live by these values. Which is why the conservatives are right when they call him a fake feminist. However, the problem is that it's coming from the conservatives. And the conservatives are also hypocrites 
as Amy and, and you, Aaron, just said, which is basically, number one, they closed status of women. They defunded it and basically relegated it to the trash heap of history before Trudeau came along and revived it. Second of all, this is a party that um, that scrapped uh, the um, initiatives to ensure safer communities for Canadian women and their families, one of them being the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, which basically strips sex workers of their constitutional right to safety and security. There's Zero Tolerance for Barbaric Cultural Practice Act, aimed at so-called polygamy, but really not so veiled slam against Muslim and brown people, uh, of whom many of them are women. These are people who have sought to criminalize women for wearing um, a hijab, okay, as a part of their daily life. Now, contrast that with uh, New Zealand's PM. I would like everybody to take a minute and to contrast these fools, these pretenders, <laughs> these feminist pretenders, with what we are seeing when it comes to leadership from a female leader who of a country that's just gone through a major tragedy. Mm. Okay? It's resistance. It's resilience. It's compassion. It's strength. It's all of those things together that she has shown. And I would like everybody to, to look at that and see that female leadership is different. It's different. Yes, we've had the Hillary Clintons who want to be just as power hungry as men. And, you know, I'm not even, I, I know I'm going to get slammed for evoking this, this sort of um, idea of ambitious women, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can be ambitious, sure. But the fact is, is that Hillary Clinton is that type of feminist who will walk over other women to get there, regardless of who you are. So I, is that real feminism? No. But the fact is, is that the conservatives have been shit on this issue. They have no place to speak from. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, so Lauren Duca. <laughs> <laughs> who is Lauren Duca? So Lauren Duca is that, you know... She's a freelance writer who occasionally writes for Teen Vogue. Yes. Who dazzled the world with Donald Trump is gaslighting America, her Teen Vogue article, which basically elevated her to woke feminist status. Now, apparently, according to all other white feminists, uh, we were supposed to pray at the altar of Lauren Duca. Well, Jezebel just released a piece on Lauren Duca, which is like, wait a minute. We got to check her credentials. So um, I'm going to say good on Jezebel for doing this work. Okay. Now you know my opinion on it. And here's my thing. Lauren Duca through this article and also through her Twitter personality has been elevated to the point of deity in feminist circles. And apparently everybody else is supposed to bow. Personally, I'm not a fan. This is a woman who is known, at least around black feminist circles, for ignoring black women, which, which puts her in the area of white feminist to me. Now, 
Um, I did like her Trump piece. It was fine. I didn't think it was the greatness that everybody thought it was because I like we basically have these conversations every day. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> OK, Sanders are really high. <laughs> also, pay us to write fucking shit for you. You know, I was that was going to be my rant and receipts, but there's all this time for that. Mm. <laughs> we'll talk about that on another episode. Anyway. Um, but apparently Lauren Duca is toxic. And her toxicity comes in the form of um, online ber- harassment and berating other women. So my question is feminism. And here's the thing. When this piece came out, um, I believe that a lot of the response I saw on Twitter was, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you take down another woman? Because that's that's the low hanging fruit of any sort of critique of anybody in the feminist circle. How dare you attack other women? It's the Madeleine Albright School of Feminism, which is bullshit, which gives us Hillary Clinton and Chelsea, apparently. Anyway, I digress because you heard that about that last week. Um, So Lauren Duca likes to harass other women referring to a woman who I believe um, emailed her and she she had argued with her about a story and called her an overweight fake blonde. Um, and she's basically just a horrible person who likes to bully people online. And my question is this. I would like to know white women, at what point... Okay. Do you actually? Is there a point where um, a woman who shits on other women gets some sort of critique from you if she's white? That's my question. Because all of this, how dare you shit on Lauren Duca? How dare you 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 question our 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 queen? Uh, comes from white women. Because all the all the black women. And and the Latinx women who are the Latinx people who I follow were just like, yeah, we've been telling you this forever. So can we get rid of her now? And that's the thing. And it just goes to what Amy was saying on fake feminist Trudeau. Here's another fake feminist, in my opinion. Erin, I know you have thoughts because I know she's not your favorite person. So I got to give you a shout out, though, because you were you were early on this one. I was right. (laughs) Um, So basically, the allegations in the Jezebel piece um, say that uh, while she was working at the Huffington Post, uh, Lauren Duca harassed um, some colleagues online and quote unquote anonymously. Um, through a made-up i iCloud account, da 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 da. Like, although initially her own iCloud account, it was and an, then, it was her iCloud and said she was hacked. No, she, it was she said she was hacked, but then also apparently in messages to her bosses said that her roommate had done it. So I knew these allegations over about two years ago, um, and this is why 
anytime we mention Lauren Duca, I'm like, oh, she's the worst. It's because I already knew about this, but like didn't have any evidence to back it up. Um, and so anyway, um, there was a time in August of 2017 and where I tweeted something about Lauren Duca, about her just being the worst. And, um, oh, the New Yorker had posted something about Lauren Duca, um, basically how like untalented white writers women were talking about being feminist blah 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 because like sure lauren duca's ideas are generally good i find her writing generally awful uh i think she writes it in a very juvenile manner and here she's gonna be teaching j students at uh at nyu NYU. Um, that's scary yeah well did you read her syllabus (laughs) when it was circulating online no it is the funniest thing you'll ever read it is completely like, talk about word salad. It's like none of it makes sense. No. And it's like she you had she intentionally used a thesaurus and threw a bunch of shit together. Absolutely. And it is like it's it's comically that's, bad. Like, that's I her writing. You go find it. That's her writing. And there was one time where I read a, sto- uh, a story of hers or a column of hers and she talked about something being an influenza and I was like you can't be an influenza. <laughs> you, you know you like it's an inf- you can like it's something goes viral because it's like a, bac- a bacterial infection. You know who she is? But it's she talked about it as an influenza. It was fucking weird. You know who she is? She's like she's like if 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 Aunt Becky's daughter actually graduated mm. from mm. women's studies. Mm. That's what she is. Mm. Yeah. Um anyway, so I tweeted about how the new yorker i was like oh did the new yorker subtweet laura duca because i'm here for it and she immediately dm'd me oh, me yeah. no way me a random person on the internet who is not verified and she was a verified person and people who are verified don't get notifications on their on their phones yeah, she's for people for people who aren't verified so she's she's so searching she's just sitting her name. she it was immediate so she was sitting there watching her mentions at that exact moment and saw my tweet come in and she dm'd me and said seriously am i reading a snark filter over that tweet or is that just straight up mean i'm like, sorry were you like yeah straight up mean what the fuck about that was ambiguous i'm sorry like i'm just some person on the internet three thousand like i don't know a few it, thousand it, miles so away funny from that you. She has such thin skin for cyberbullying, which is not what, at all what you did. When that's literally what she did was harass her colleagues and call them like fat and fat, incompetent, incompetent, like stupid. writing to their bosses, like what, for everybody to see, like in a small community that she was part of. That's so gross. <laughs> anyway, so I took this opportunity to be like, cool, like I'm just gonna like actually speak to her and educate her about why I have a problem with her. And I was like, cool, like. I found, uh, I, thanks for reaching out. Like, you know, maybe my tweet was a bit harsh. I don't fuck whatever. Um, anyway, I said, you know, I just want to like share my criticism with you. Like I find that you generally don't take into the account, the experiences of non-white women. Mm. Um, I'm like, but I like always agree, agree with like the thesis of your, your columns. And like, I think your points are excellent, but like, I find that you're overlooking and oversimplifying a lot of complex issues. Mm. Um, and I said, I think that you have an opportunity to like really like make a difference. 
and you know because a lot of people follow you and think that you're so wonderful and i think Mm -hmm. that you know yes this is this was around the time of like healthcare repeal right and i was like you know obamacare repeal is bad for women yes but like it also much more negatively affects communities of color when those with lower socio socioeconomic status and she was like uh when did i write a a column about Obamacare only in the context of white women who are thin and white. That's like your entire brand. And the fact that there's also that's so defensive. She got extremely defensive. Like, wait a miss the fucking point. And then she said, um, I'd love if you could provide me with actual examples. Yes. Cause you're going to take your time to provide examples for, you know what this is? This is a woman with thin skin and a huge ego. And I was Even just like, past her I, I, I got, then I got mad, but I didn't like convey anger to her because I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to like give her the benefit of the doubt. And I was like, in my head, I was just like, fuck this white woman wants this fucking woman of color to do all the fucking work for her. As again. usual. And, uh, I was like, I actually have to go cause I have a life. I have to go play a softball game, but like, let's pick this up <laughs> later. Like if you want to come on our podcast, I would love that. And we can discuss that. And she was like, fuck that and i was like well then we're done here we're done but i did actually go back and i like provided a re a re like a very like lengthy message and i was like cool like uh here's an example of what you did and to further detail my own example here's a way that like obamacare affects black people and poor people and all of these things where if like you just didn't talk about them given your massive platform and uh, you missed an opportunity. And she just like didn't respond. So Lauren Duca can eat it. Well, she moved on to the next person who was trolling her in her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, not a fan. I mean, it just is a good reminder to kind of like look at people who, again, yeah. use the moniker of being a feminist and like kind of, you know, check in on their values and who their community is and where they came from. And I don't mean like in a mistrust, like always mistrust people way because we want to have, you know, a movement that's open to people. But at the same time, like <laughs> there, you know, it's it's good to ask like what people have been doing or where they're coming from um, and kind of especially when they're trying to make money and, and, and gain followers or gain celebrity and and whatever else. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's totally fair to scrutinize them. Yeah, and something that I've said, I think, at least two times in events that we've done, so when Eric and I did the GBA Plus panel and then when we did our live event mm-hmm. at um, with the Guild last year, I said, I t- my advice to people is always to seek out the opinions of people who and stories of people who don't look like you and have different experiences than you. And so uh, Brittany Packnett, um, she's kind of an academic in this space. She's on Pod Save the People. She's an activist. She's very wonderful. Follow her on Twitter. Follow her on Instagram. Um, but she posted uh, a tweet thread and she said, you know, here's like, it's about time you did like an audit of your tw- of your social media. Yeah, I saw that. And it was just like, okay, look through your follow the people you follow and how many people are people of color? How many people are disabled? How many people are poor, are fat, are indigenous, are all of these things. How many people live in places that are different than where you live, et cetera, et cetera. And she had a whole bunch of different criteria and things to consider. And like, it made me think of like the people I follow, but then like one, I try not to follow that many people just because I get too 
because your your timeline gets like it's too busy it's yeah but this is where i'm at but um also like i also try to seek out those people so like if someone retweets something into my timeline that's different Mm -hmm. like i'm like oh great there's an opportunity to like read that thing of course yeah but i think that like everyone needs to kind of think about that and it's especially bad on i would say on instagram just because like a lot of influencers are white and thin and you know they're not any of these intersections and we can get into this idea that these are the people who are creating the culture but we're also reinforcing that culture yes we are we are i i agree with that Anyway, so my rant this week is uh, kind of raising an issue uh, that's taking place in Vancouver politics, and that is that the Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter is not going to be receiving funding from city council uh, this year because the city of Vancouver has said that in order for them to receive funding, they need to change their policy that excludes trans people from uh, their services. And basically, basically, um, this is a very, very rare move that the city council um, denies this type of group, this type of funding. And um, yeah, basically, uh, the Vancouver Rape Relief Center says that rape relief is strong enough and principled enough and has enough supporters and community that we will say no to changing our policies and receiving city funding quote and they continue saying i think uh this demand is undemocratic and a very dangerous bullying move on behalf of counselors and it says if you want the money change how you operate change your political principles change the basis of unity um i'm sorry what no they're not giving you funding because you're discriminating against people what what the fuck it it I didn't know that this was the stance of the Vancouver Rape Relief Center. I've known for a little while because it's talked about in some circles, mm-hmm. but it's not. Yeah, I don't think it's a lot of people don't know for sure. Yeah. A lot of people have been donating unknowingly to them. Yeah. So basically, um, the proposal to cut the funding um, exists to protect and include trans people in the services receiving public money, which is a very great stance for the city of Vancouver to have. I'd love for the city of Ottawa's new women and gender whatever office to look into similar policies. Listen. Listen. I'm just putting it on the record the that new I would love that. Okay. Women's Bureau in Ottawa has a budget of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the position they're trying to hire for has a salary of eighty seven thousand dollars to one hundred and nine thousand dollars, which is um almost half the budget. I'm well, this isn't a cost <laughs> like this isn't a cost savings measure. It's no. like about setting no, up policies, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. Um and having some principles for how funding is delivered. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I, I appreciate this coming from the Vancouver City Council because their recent election had a very, very white council. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that they're taking this stance. Oh, but there are women on the council, so it's diverse. Sure. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, the white women aren't diversity. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to her TED Talk. <laughs> um, so basically, the argument of the the Vancouver Rape Relief Center is that you know, women coming to their center have experienced trauma at the hands of men and therefore having a trans woman um, in the center could be very triggering for 
the women born women at the center because trans women can have deeper voices. They look a different way than women born women. And wait, are they checking our voices before we're allowed to go in? Because I don't think because you wouldn't pass right now. I was just about to say same for me all the time. Most of the time. That'd be a real issue. And then the spokesperson even said, yeah, and they they wear a lot of things that men wear, including baseball hats. And I was like, well, I can never go there. I wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats. That's the most ignorant thing. It's like these people have never met a trans woman in their life. First of all, and second of all, like, are they are people forced to identify whether they're cis or trans upon entry? That's fucked. Yeah, it's uh, the it's layers of fucktitude to this whole thing. <laughs> fucktitude, I love well, it. Well, Lauren Duca gets to make up words. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm um, adding that. <laughs> I am adding that to the rotation. <laughs> also, like, okay. So what are their political principles then? Because that's like what the spokesperson Hilla Kerner is saying about the Rape Relief Center, that including trans women in their services is changing their political principles. Then I have questions. Well, what are their... What? Listen, there are a lot of progressive, quote unquote, progressive women in this city and across this fucking Mm -hmm. country who... Call themselves progressives. Next week we're naming names, so watch out. <laughs> and who we'll are absolutely? With, we'll st- you want me to start? I can. No, start right we're now. good right now. We're good right now. <laughs> but it's not. Um, who are absolutely exclusionary towards trans women? The turfs, and they believe that it, by including trans women in services and policies for women, that we are erasing women. Which uh, utter nonsense. I, speaking as a woman, I don't feel that. I don't know. I don't. It's my thought. I mean, it's the same. Like this is a rape crisis center. It's like the same. The same things that are motivating the harm against trans women are the same forms of misogyny, and same with gender mm-hmm. non-binary folks. So it's entirely. It's. It, 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 I mean, it's just a ridiculous position that. You have to because be how gene- can you have a rape have, crisis yeah. center and exclude trans people who who's disproportionately thank experience you. violence thank from, you. from men and thereby giving them probably very few places yeah. to receive services. There are also anti sex workers at that that rape crisis center as well. So that's interesting to keep in mind. And like, yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing is um, just just so like so offensive. But the the point is that. Whether or not it's your political view, whatever the fuck that means, or you want to argue freedom of expression, mm-hmm. that that is your view. That only, which really just means that their view is only with only people born with as women, as rather as female sex at birth are women. That's their that's their freedom of expression. That view and and having discriminatory application of who gets access to these services is an act of discrimination and the government any government body can choose whether or not to fund you based on that principle it is not a suppression of your freedom of expression for the government not to give you funding mm-hmm. because you discriminate against discriminate against women and people for gender and gender expression which are protected grounds yeah. In, in 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 British Columbia, mm-hmm. so I mean it's it, it's ridiculous. You want to do a balancing of rights? Go right ahead. You can have that freedom of expression. Go for it, but you're not going to get the funding. 
The problem is that they probably will, you know, fundraise some money from and, mo- and be able well, to galvanize can, some turfs around their, their organization. But well, they can go to Andrew Shear and fundraise from <laughs> them because I, I swear that's who they're basically, mm. you know, attracting at this point. But in terms of the city of Vancouver, that funding should go to an or, to an organization that actually is it has a non-discriminatory policy that is open for for all people yeah. um, experiencing gender-based violence period right yeah and like i i think ignorantly made the assumption that vancouver being being from vancouver and like knowing that they have like a very strong um queer community just assume that like yeah of course but well, uh, this was like a, a, quite like upsetting to me and like to to realize that like oh yeah this type of um discrimination happens in a very progressive city and it happens a lot in um in in the work of a lot of organizations not just in vancouver but across the country Mm -hmm. that purport to deal with gender or you know what what is now called gender-based violence but used to be called violence against women and there, these ideas are, these are not anomalies. And there are organizations that outwardly don't talk about this, but are run and organized by people who share these viewpoints. Um, it's, it's an antiquated idea. It's completely ignorant. It's baseless. Um, and, you know, either formally or informally, there are a lot of organizations across the country that turn people away for not presenting as women or, not, or being trans or not being cis women more specifically. Um, and, and I think it's important to ask this question of all the organizations you donate to and ask if they are trans friendly and if they're open to gender non-binary folks or people who have a queer or different, uh, different identities mm-hmm. than, than a traditional cis um, cis identity or, or who pretend to present differently or, or whatever else or have, or may express their gender in ways that are, are atypical for, um, like, I mean, this idea of like, a, a before, and like, their their whole view of what what gender expression is, this baseball cap, deep voice, fucking nonsense, is ridiculous. Like, literally, as most who, women I know would not be allowed in there. As <laughs> like, someone who like wears almost gym clothes exclusively. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 and fuck you t-shirts yeah. <laughs> but i mean eric made a great point like a lot of violence of sexual violence and violence in general yeah. is like happen like a disproportionate degree happens to women who and trans women or we should just say are women um disproportionately to people who are trans yeah and disproportionately to people who are queer and le- like lesbian women are, 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 you know, are not immune from violence from men. Mm-hmm. And in fact, be, you know, because of that, there is viol- like there is misogynistic more violence, violence yes. towards those communities. So, um, and I mean, really, if we're looking at where does money need to go, it needs to go across the board. But there are um, there is actually a disproportionate need for funding for those particular communities. who have very few places to turn to. Um, if because of these attitudes, so even whether the attitude is explicit, like it was at this rape crisis center, or implicit based on how it's operated, or the rules of how they have when they let you in, or the rules of how you can say or how you can comport yourself or whatever else, um, the like that that's that, that's something that we need to um, again scrutinize and challenge. And every time you donate or every time you volunteer, you should be asking these questions as an al- if you're an ally um, on this issue. I don't know. I agree. I I think that I always my sort of eyebrows always raise when um, there's a rush to exclude 
that's mm-hmm. usually my sort of um, good rule. Bar- barometer. Would you start because I I believe in inclusion as a default, yeah, and exclusion as deliberate, and so. My question is, and exclusion usually rises from fear, and it sounds and and stereotypes are based on that fear. And this this baseball low voice thing, I, I'm just like, wow. There is some hardcore either education that needs to be done, or let's be honest, I don't be- I don't believe that education is the key. <laughs> It's only part of solution, only yeah. part. And I'm not even sure it's a large part. I think literally, like, we all need to make the effort to even be around people in person who are not like us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would just like to make it known that, like, we've kind of distanced ourselves from groups that are trans-exclusionary. Yes. Or where issues have come up where... um exclusionary processes seem to be taking hold rather than a default of inclusion. I honestly think that that's like the bare minimum. Is this organization inclusive? And when I say inclusive, I don't mean inclusive of established power structures either. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm. So I'm not talking about a women's organization who doesn't add men. No, they like that's not (laughs) it. You know, I'm talking about groups that have typically been stripped or or barred against having a voice, having agency, having any sort of power, any sort of empowerment or decision making abilities on their own. That's what I'm talking about. And groups that have been disproportionately attacked, whether physically or verbally or whatever the case may be. Well, uh, on that note. Oh, are we done? Oh, we are done. Oh. I went by real quick. Wow. I know. I mean, it probably wow. didn't go by real quick, but uh, here we are. I just checked out my March Madness bracket. It's not good. Oh, no. <laughs> it's bad. Oh. Real bad. <laughs> I was just like, I I filled half of it out, and then I was just like, I, 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 I and that, the half I did fell out fell through so I, i'm not even trying i anymore. bet on way more upsets march madness is generally filled with upsets yeah. there were like almost none and i bet on a lot well what's <laughs> the point really if there's up. no upsets who's our sweet 16 like cinderella gr- team I who because if you say unc or duke i am just shutting you down right now Listen, all right i've got the guns i got to win it all <gasps> do you Gonzaga always always goes eggs anyway that does it for this week <laughs> Amy's just like fuck you guys I know I know <laughs> you know what this is when we put on our baseball caps and can't walk into <laughs> the Vancouver Rape Center <laughs> follow us on social media we're on Twitter at bad and bitchy on Instagram at bad and bitchy pod Facebook slash bad and me podcast and email us bad and be pod at gmail.com bye, bye. what will the butch lesbians do yeah. <laughs> My bitch is bad and bullshit. <laughs>